Well, aloha from Maui, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner. Uh, pleasure to be with you today, and I'm looking forward to our class today as we talk about uh, what really could be a complex topic. I, I'm going to do my best to make sure it's not all that complex, although certainly a provocative topic. And if you're inclined to, uh, well, philosophy or the psychology of perception or metaphysics or physics, uh, we're all invested in a better understanding of time. What is time? That's our topic for the day today. How do we manage time? Is it possible to manage time? I'm going to suggest that's really a misnomer that... Uh, time is largely out of your hands. There's 60 seconds in every hour, and that's uh, measured by an atomic clock. And there's uh, uh, 60 seconds in a minute, rather, and 60 minutes in an hour, and 24 hours in a day. And you know how time is divided up. But then we need uh, occasional corrections of time. They don't tell you when they do it very often, but as a journalist, I, I can I can attest to the fact that every once in a while, the uh, people in charge of such things internationally will add a second or subtract a second. I think they add a second uh, every few years, and then of course we have leap year and uh, and all of that. Every four years we have to add a day. And uh, it's all based on the Earth spinning on its axis at the same time that it rotates around the sun. But that's a clock, just like astrology is really a clock. And that's a good place to begin today is talk about the difference between time and our measurement of time, because I think you've come to understand that's really what time is. My basic premise is that the standard idea of time is really an illusion of consciousness. And so it's a fitting topic for us because we're all here to grow our awareness of ourselves and the world around us, to develop our consciousness. And as you do that, you come to understand the nature of eternity, and uh, I've pulled some quotes that I think are going to be both instructive and at the same time provocative. I'm going to read some of those quotes, and uh, I'll try to limit the jumping around, although i got to do a little bit of jumping around. I'll, I'll, I'll try and make this flow. Uh, <laughs> that's what time is, right? It's a flow. It's a construct. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the best to try to put it together in a uh, uh, logical and reasonable fashion here. But what a fascinating topic. It's like uh, as if I said, okay, next week we're going to do a program on space. And what is space? Some of you might consider that would be even easier than time. Space takes up three dimensions, basically. There's the up and down of things. There's the 
back and forth of things. There's the, uh, you know, depending on how you how you measure it, the uh, the x, the y, and the z axis. Maybe that's the best way: height, width, and depth uh, to talk about space. Well, time, in many ways, is the fourth dimension. But time is a function of space, and space is a function of time. In other words, if you look at a little bit of science, particularly uh, since Einstein, you'll see the phrase time-space continuum, as if it is a scale or a spectrum. And at no point on that continuum can we separate time from space. You can't really talk about space without considering the time necessary to move through it. And we can't really talk about time without considering it to be a distance through space as well. In other words, you could have in measuring the distance between events, you could have a physical distance measured in miles or kilometers or light years, but you could also have a time distance between events. Well, it took an hour and 15 minutes, or again, a light year. That would be an example of both, um, a function of time and a function of, uh, of space. The interesting thing about what happens to time when we start moving at the speed of light, um, we're going to talk a little later in the program about the theory of relativity and the relative nature of time. Because according to Einstein, as you accelerate mass toward the speed of light, time slows down. Okay, uh, I know that's hard to get your head around because our brains are designed to work in four dimensions. Our brains are designed to help us understand the three dimensions of space and this fourth dimension of time. So to use the brain, or the mind if you will, to think outside of that context, to go beyond space and time, is another nice phrase, beyond space and time, to infinity and eternity. Those words have a very special relationship, don't they? The, um, the biggest space you could have would be infinity, and the biggest amount of time that you could have is eternity. So infinity and eternity are really spiritual concepts. They're found, I guess, in psychology. They're certainly found in uh, philosophy and poetry. But um, uh, that's where I'd like to begin today is uh, with my basic understanding that there is a level of existence or a plane or a sphere of existence beyond space and time. In other words, outside of the physical universe. If you think of the universe as a ball, and it's often portrayed that way by empirical scientists. Not sure if you've ever seen a map of the universe, but it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty fascinating thing to look at all of the uh, hundreds of 
billions of galaxies, roughly, at last count, the number keeps changing, but at last count, it's about 150 billion galaxies inside this round ball that is the universe, all right? 150 billion galaxies, each one of those galaxies having roughly 100 to 150 billion stars. Now, that's a lot of stars, and that's a lot of space, and that's a lot of time. So when we look at light coming from a distant galaxy, we're looking back in time. And this is hard science. Let's start with the most empirical things uh, that a physicist dealing only with the scientific method, observation of facts, and the physical dense universe itself. Where do they begin? With the idea that when you start talking about the speed of light, amazing things happen. And this is one of them that if you look at a star that is four light years away, you're looking at light that left the star four years ago, right? And so if you could see detail, which you can't, but if we could, we'd be looking at what happened four years ago. You'd be looking into the past. The farther away we go, a thousand light years, 10,000 light years. That's the distance it takes light to move in that many years. That's what a light year is. You know what a light year is, right? A thousand light years, 10,000 light years. Imagine if you were 10,000 light years from Earth and you looked at Earth right now, at this moment, you would see 10,000 years ago. You would see the, the ice age, the last. Uh, ice age on the planet earth and the glaciers are receding from the southern united states and creating the great lakes and all of the smaller lakes in michigan and wisconsin and minnesota these little glacial puddles as the glaciers recede right um if you were ten thousand light years away and you could look at earth right now You'd have to wait 6,000 years for the pyramids to be built. If you, were, if you were at the nearest star, which is four light years away, um, you'd be looking back at 2006. That's a little hard again to grok, but we can look into the past in that way, and we can see, now get this, how the past coexists with the present when we start looking at these enormous distances and energy moving at the speed of light. Einstein also added this other element about mass increasing as it approaches the speed of light and time slowing down so it takes more and more energy, geometrically much more energy, to keep moving this mass faster and faster, because relatively speaking, the mass is not fixed. It's a variable, and the faster it goes, the more massive it becomes. 
I know, it's hard to believe, it's hard to get your head around. And at the same time that the mass grows, approaching the speed of light, time slows. So you've probably heard it said that an astronaut that goes out into space and travels at high rates of speed and then comes back to Earth is going to be a little bit younger than he would have been if he just stayed here. And that's true. And at the speeds we fly in our spacecraft in this 21st century on Earth, pretty slow. I mean, not even close to the speed of light. So the time shift is infinitesimal. It's only when you get into the upper reaches um, of light speed that, according to Einstein, and there's been research to uh, verify and validate this, um, time slows. So that means at the speed of light, time stands still. At the speed of light, if you could jump on a beam of light just as it's reflected off of Big Ben, right? Big Ben strikes noon in London, and you are able somehow to saddle up and jump on the light that is reflected off that clock exactly as it strikes noon, and you ride that light out into space, and light, of course, moves at the speed of light. No matter how long you did that, every time you look down at the light that you're riding, it would say 12 noon. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> you see? And yet that is about the best explanation that I know of to begin to comprehend that time is really an illusion. Now, I used to say to my students, and when I was doing classroom work, I still have private students and one-on-one students, but it's always fun in a classroom when a topic like this comes up to say, in Eastern philosophy, it's pretty uniformly understood that time is an illusion of consciousness. And yet, if the Dalai Lama knows that time is an illusion, why does he wear a wristwatch and carry a day runner? A little silly, but I think actually quite provocative. The Dalai Lama, like any good Buddhist, and most Hindus and, you know, others, Taoists and Confucians and others, regardless of where they are, the whole Eastern Hemisphere, uh, Again, I'm generalizing using a very broad brush. It's not everybody. But generally speaking, just as Western men and women are certain that time marches on, um, the Easterners, generally the Eastern Hemisphere, uh, because of their spiritual background, seem to be pretty aware that time is an illusion. It's an illusion of consciousness. And so what I've done is, rather than have you rely totally on me and my explanations of this illusion, is read a few pull quotes that I've gathered up for today, and then we'll work our way through those. 
and then we'll go to your questions and your comments and talk about the practical implications because this is more than just a mental exercise. There are some real implications um, that that are going to impact your life or could impact your life in a very significant way or series of significant ways as you begin to really understand how what the nature of eternity and infinity, how time, uh, in terms of having a past and a future anyway, is really an illusion that the only thing we have is this pulse or this rhythm, this uh, instant unfolding that is eternal and infinite. In other words, the only thing we have is right now. The past is a construct of your imagination. It's a set of memories that are far from perfect. The future is a similar construct. It's a projection of an anticipated point in space and time where you'll be. Yeah, in the middle of February, I have to go to Seattle. I'm flying to Seattle on the 15th. And so why does the Dalai Lama wear a wristwatch and carry a day runner scheduling far out into the future? And I would say, and have said in these classes to promote discussion, that even though the Dalai Lama knows time is an illusion, that on the earth it's real enough. And this is frustrating when you're dealing with a neophyte philosopher, like a brand new Buddhist who comes to you, an American who read a book on Buddhism and says, you know, time's an illusion, it's not real. And you go, well, yeah, it is. And you argue back and forth. What, what a student of the wisdom really needs to understand is that both things are true. Um, time exists in space. And outside of space, it does not exist. <laughs> Both things are true. Why would a Buddhist seem to cop an attitude or another, you know, someone who, who understands physics and relativity uh, as well? Uh, well, because the bigger truth is that ultimately time is an illusion. That, that, you really got to admit that would be the greater truth. But it is true that down here... Uh, we use these conventions we call time, uh, days and dates and months and years and, and clocks of all kinds to schedule events. This class is every Sunday at 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock in the East. It's a mechanism that allows us to rendezvous, and it's real handy. It's damn valuable. So, come on, you metaphysicians, let's not be too hard on the physical world people and acknowledge that in physical dense, in the world of form and shadow, time is real enough. It is real enough. Even though ultimately, you know, this is where we go to the and, not the or, but the and, ultimately, in the larger scheme of things, there is just now. There is just this. You know, time 
may not have a past or a future, but it does have a rhythm. Uh, Einstein, uh, Terence McKenna also talks about time waves, and they're coming from two different places. Terence McKenna, of course, was a, a student of mind and brain science, and particularly altered states, and he experimented with uh, magic mushrooms and other psychoactive properties uh, to create a level of awareness where he felt he could discern the speeding up and slowing down of time as, it, uh, as if it arrived as a wave. Like think of surfers and waves in the ocean. Think of a time wave of time appearing to move through space as energy moves through water. All right. And um, Einstein talked about the same kind of thing. But when we go beyond to the concept of a spiritual oneness that encompasses, includes, and embraces physical reality and so much more beyond time and space, this is where we have to concede that perhaps, if you're not sure, that's okay. Be skeptical, be critical, just think it through. Perhaps, outside of space and time, there is neither. And that space and time is a state or a condition within a larger ultimate reality. Time certainly seems variable. I mean, even in a practical sense, if you want to speed up time, all you have to do is get busy, uh, get stressed, uh, stimulate yourself, and then maybe overstimulate yourself, uh, just be real busy doing a lot of stuff, and time will will just roar by. If, on the other hand, you want to slow time down, then you've got to slow yourself down. As they say, a watched pot never boils. Put the tea kettle on, and instead of going and doing other things, you sit there and wait for it to boil. It's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna take the same amount of time, but it's gonna seem forever. Uh, it's so relative time. Remember when you first got the microwave and you thought it was amazing, and you showed all your friends. When was this? The, the mid to late seventies that microwaves started coming out. The early eighties. This is the late 70s, wasn't it? And people said, look, I can heat up my coffee in, in 45 seconds. I can uh, bake a potato in three minutes. Isn't it fascinating? And we were just uh, amazed and blown away at how fast time went uh, cooking, in this case, with the microwave. But after you had one for six or eight months, it's no different than anything else. Your level of expectation exceeds the reality of it, and you're going, come on, come on, you're in a hurry with the microwave. What's taking so long with this microwave? It's all relative. It's all relative. You ever reflect on your grandparents' lifestyle? Hopefully you knew them, or maybe you even were lucky enough to know your great-grandparents. And the way people lived in this country. I don't want to date myself, but I will. I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 62 years old. And yet, I remember in my grandparents' home, 
Lansing, Michigan, not far from the state capitol, in the early 50s, the milk wagon was still pulled by a horse, still horse-drawn in like 53, 54, 55, somewhere in there, was one of the last of those horse-drawn milk wagons in the cities went away. And by the late 80s, the trucks went away, too. Not too many people get their milk delivered anymore. But uh, people say, well, times change, don't they? It's the technology that changes. The horse to the motor vehicle, the, the, the wood fireplace to the electric stove to the microwave oven. And that seems to give us more time. As we get all these conveniences, like the washing machine, you just start it and walk away. You don't, have to, you don't have to scrub the clothes on the scrub board anymore. You know, and then you just throw them in the dryer. You don't have to go outside and hang them on the line with clothes pins. wasn't so long ago we were doing that. And yet, in spite of all these time-saving conventions or conveniences, we have less time. So clearly, this is all made up. It's all just an invention. And let me say one more thing before we go to these quotes. I think part of the problem is thinking of time in a linear rather than a circular sense. That if you think of a time line and you put now in the middle, and off to the left is the past, because we all know time moves left to right. <laughs> so to the left, like the negative numbers, right? that's before now, that's the past. And to the right of now, or zero on the timeline, that's the future. That's where we're headed, left to right. We're not there yet, but that exists out there someplace. Really, does it? All right. Some people would say the past is an illusion, now exists, and the future is a potential. Some say, no, the future doesn't exist, but the past is real. At least everybody agrees on the now. There is no past or future. There is only the now. And again, if you look instead of a timeline at the nature of a circular clock, you can see its rhythm. Twenty-some years ago, I had some listeners uh, uh, contact me and tell me they were going to mail me this gift, a, a special clock that they made that they wanted me to have. And a few days later, sure enough, this package shows up and, and at the radio station, and I open it up, and inside is like a, a schoolhouse clock. Look looked just like the clocks I remember staring at when, <laughs> when I was in grade school. And, of course, the more I stared at it, the slower it went. Well, these guys had taken this clock. They pulled the hands off of it. They took the motor out of the back, basically gutted the clock except for the front face. They put a little white sticker over the hole where the hands had stuck through, you know. And or the you know the shaft of the motor that drove the hands, they just covered that up with a little white piece of paper, and then printed across the middle 
the face of the clock, between the number nine and the number three, they put three letters, N-O-W. And I hung that on my wall, and I would tell my friends, I have the world's most accurate clock. I never have to reset it. It's energy efficient, it's totally green, and I always know what time it is. Well, funny thing, a few years later, another friend of mine, uh, since passed, a wonderful guy named uh, Jonas, he gave me a calendar to go with it. And it was like one of these old-fashioned tear-the-page-off-every-day kind of calendars. You know, there'd be 365 sheets of paper on it. And every day you just rip off one of these square pieces of paper. It was like that, except that every one of the pieces of paper, can you guess where I'm headed with this? Every one of the pieces of paper said the same thing today. So I hung my today calendar next to my now clock. I always knew what day it was. I always knew what time it was. And the truth of the matter is, then and now, as I look back on it, (laughs) it's a little time game, that's the most accurate worldview anybody could possibly have. Your point of power is now. The place to realize truth is now. That can't happen in the past or the future. You have no control over the past or the future. As I say, the past is just a memory. What's that saying? I've seen it on greeting cards. The past is history. The future is a mystery. That's why the present is a gift. Yeah, something like that. It's pretty clever in the present little play on words. The past is history. The future is a mystery. All we have is the present, and that's a gift. Nice play on words. So what are the implications of that? Well, how many times have we said, I'll do it tomorrow? And then you wake up and you say, is it tomorrow? No, it's today. I looked at my calendar. It's right now, today. I guess I'll do it tomorrow. And it never gets done. Okay. Uh, you can change that if you organize time. And again, I'm going to talk about this when we get to these pull quotes here in a minute, but you can't really organize time. You can just organize your life around and schedule your life around the illusion that time is marching forward. So, My argument when I say time is an illusion, I'm talking about the past and the future. In terms of now or the present, that part of time is definitely real. It's the only thing there is. Think of it like the round clock where the hands just go around and around, and there's a rhythm to it. When you talk to a musician about time, they go, oh, you mean like 4-4 four, four or three-quarter time or 6-8 time? We could write a waltz. We could syncopate the time, right? We could do three beats in two counts and call it a triplet and syncopate those notes. Uh, 
we can play with time, you know, like those African and Caribbean rhythms, uh, wonderful Latin rhythms. And what is that? That's messing with time. You see, that's why drumming is so fun. People just love drumming and dancing. And rhythm is real. Rhythm is definitely real. Boom, shakalaka, laka, wham, bam, bam. There's no question that rhythm or a pulse is real. There are periods, there are episodes, there are there are frequencies, there are you know, the rates at which energies vibrate and oscillate. Well, that's as close as we can get to time. Where we get in trouble is believing in the past and living in the past and having emotions that are born of and continue to hurt us. Even though they exist in the past, we have to wake up every morning and drag them into the current day. Anything from the past that's bothering you, you're dragging with you. You carry with you, hopefully to understand it better. And hopefully you'll work on it consciously. Because as you understand what hurts, you can then let it go. If it seems to be holding on to you, know that you're holding on to it. Any pain that seems to be attached to you, you're actually holding on to. It's not holding on to you. Fear doesn't hold on to you. You hold on to fear. And the hurt that it supports is a symptom so that you can understand. But many of us just drag that past forward day into day into day, day after day, keep it alive in the now, and uh, never do process it, never really do face it, never really go deep enough to understand it, which is what's necessary to stop dragging that stuff forward. And then there's the future. Well, the future's a, a potential. It's a a wide-open possibility, but clearly is rooted in the present, in the now. So this is all we've got, this right here, right now. Let me go to some of these pull quotes. <coughs> uh, the one I, I uh, got the biggest kick out of is I was doing a little research uh, yesterday and today is the figure of speech I'd all but forgotten about called the uh, uh, there's no time like the present. And uh, I saw that and I cracked up. It made me laugh because in this context that has a whole new meaning. And I'm sure we've all said that in our lives. No time like the present. And yet we argue for the past and the future. Again, the past regrets and resentments hurt. The future fears hurt. Many people live their whole lives in the past and the future, avoiding the reality of now. And here's this old saw, this old saying or aphorism, that there is no time like the present. Make of it what you will. I thought it was pretty cute. All right, let's let's see. I found a quote from C.S. Lewis that I liked. Uh, He talks about, uh, the spiritual sense, and this really is a spiritual concept, that there is something beyond space and time. I mean, that's clearly a spiritual idea, that there is more than the physical universe, this sphere.
sphere that we talked about with all the stars and such in it. So C.S. Lewis uh, talks about God's unbounded now. I, I like that. I, I never heard that phrase before. The the author C.S. Lewis, uh, and he also reminds us of the distinction between what the Greeks called chronos, like chronology or a chronometer. Chronos is a root word that has to do with the clock time uh, that we've referred to here as the illusion of a past and a future, because it's in my day runner. You know, I got my calendar for the whole rest of the year. Of course the future exists. Didn't I tell you? I'm flying to Seattle on the 15th. But the the Greeks also had a concept of, not sure that I'm going to pronounce this right, but I think it's pronounced kairos. It's K-A-I-R-O-S. I had two years of Latin, but no Greek. Kairos, I think, which is God's time. Kronos is clock time. Kairos is God's time. In other words, it's like we said about the Dalai Lama and the wristwatch. He knows time's an illusion, but in physical dense, it's real enough. He's aware of both kinds of time. And again, you might even want to write that down. I think that's a nice touchstone to help you reorient yourself anytime you get caught up in a yes or no, right or wrong argument about time. And if you are uh, new to metaphysics or uh, Buddhist philosophy and spirituality and you're wrestling with the idea of time being an illusion, hey, go out of your way to acknowledge to yourself and others that in space, it's real enough. It's a wonderful, valuable way of measuring a distance through space, measuring forces and the radiation of energy. I think that's a good way to think of it. So, um, in referring to these two concepts in ancient Greece about chronos, clock time, or kairos, God's time, Lewis says it's what the theologian calls God's unbounded now, where now is both this moment, this right now, and what stretches into eternity. When I think of eternity, I remember that for most of my life, eternity would be this giant basket of time that I could never get my arms around. I now know that eternity is a point that, just like in geometry, remember in high school they taught us what a point was? and then a line, and then a circle, or a triangle, or a square, or polygon. But you always start with the definition of a point in geometry. And a point is a location in space that consumes no space. So on a two-dimensional graph, it would have an X value and a Y value. On a three-dimensional graph, it would also have a Z value that would locate the point in space. But the point itself, besides being a location, takes up no space at all. That's what time is. 
That's what eternity is. It's a pinpoint with a pulse that just keeps unfolding. Eternity is a never-ending now. Again, C.S. Lewis, the unbounded now. Now listen to what Einstein says about this. This is a direct quote from Albert Einstein. He said, people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between the past, the present, and the future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. That could have been the Dalai Lama or Buddha himself or most any teacher of Eastern philosophy. It just happened to be the greatest Western scientist, certainly one of the greatest Western scientists of our contemporary era, Albert Einstein, uh, who wrote the general and specific theories of relativity that came up with this exquisite formula that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. As we've already discussed, these mind-bending concepts about what happens to mass and particles, particularly subatomic particles, they seem to be the only particles that we can accelerate or can be accelerated to near-light speeds, our, our tiny little subatomic particles, even an electron or a proton, much less uh, a hydrogen molecule, way too big to be accelerating uh, to the speed of light. And yet, this mind-bending phenomena that if you were able to do that, the mass would begin to increase and time would begin to slow, requiring infinitely more energy to approach the speed of light. Certainly makes the speed of light, at which time stands still, seemingly a barrier and impossible to attain and and impossible to exceed barrier. I'm not, not going to say it'll never be done. You know, there are explanations for time travel. They have to do with wormholes, though, and really taking shortcuts through space. But that brings up how space can be warped by gravity, and if I went in that direction, I'd be underqualified and <laughs> really off into a whole different area of physical science. But my point is, here is this preeminent physical scientist, Albert Einstein, the guy that coined these ideas of time and its variability, saying, look, let's, let's get clear. Um, I'll read it again. People like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between the past, the present, and the future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. In other words, time is an illusion of consciousness. Because you can remember you believe in the past, because you have the ability to anticipate you believe in the future. Animals, there could be some exceptions, we're not sure, but it certainly seems that animals, generally speaking, this is one of the reasons that humans are in their own kingdom, separate from animals. Animals don't really reflect on time. They're very zen-like. An animal, again, we don't know this for sure, and there could be some exceptions, and you can believe whatever you want. Do animals have memory? Well, yeah, of course they have memory. 
can they learn and understand? Sure, if you have a memory, you can learn and understand, you can retain, you can improve, you can get better. But in its natural state, a dog or a cat laying on the rug looking out the window probably is not reflecting on the past and not concerned about the future. They tend to be, by all the evidence, brainwave studies and such, very focused into the now. Could a current stimulus, something happen right now that frightens the animal because it remembers something from the past? Well, yeah, of course. So they have memories. They just tend to be very, very zen-like. Uh, do you know who Joan Halifax Roshi is? Joan Halifax uh, became a Zen Buddhist. Uh, now she's uh, uh, earned the title Roshi, Joan Halifax Roshi, and uh, she's a very good uh, Zen teacher. And Here's a little quote from her. She says, in terms of our inner lives, no time exists except for what is happening in the present moment. All right, this is a standard... Buddhist, and as they say, yoga, Eastern philosophy in general, Hinduism, Taoism, Shintoism, Confucianism, uh, Jainism. There's this general understanding of the timeless nature of that which is beyond space. And uh, among, as I said before, the smartest of them, an acknowledgement that in space, Time certainly has some value in, in its appearance of a distance between events, but you know our time and space is short. There's a psychologist named Luke Jones I found on the Internet, and I, I pulled a couple of paragraphs because I really like what he has to say. Let me read this to you. I forgot to write down what university he's at, but he is a... Ph.D. psychologist and the faculty of a major university, Luke Jones. He says, in human consciousness, the nature of time differs both from the physicist's view and from the institutionalized ritual of clock time. In our consciousness, we have a persistent feeling of events receding into a past of non-existence of the future as a nebulous world of possible existences to come, and of the now to which we grant a higher level of existence. But in the physicist's view, the dinosaurs, your birth, Christmas morning of 2012, and your deathbed all have the same level of existence right now. It is only our consciousness that gives special importance to any place in the timescape, the time continuum. Human consciousness, he goes on, also resists clock time. We know from experiments and everyday experiences that the speed of our internal clocks can be manipulated by changes in body heat and differences in the, in the type of stimulus to which we're responding and by high adrenaline situations such as car crashes or, or, or combat. For example, sounds are perceived as lasting longer than light flashes of the same duration, while adrenaline makes it seem as though time 
is slowing down. Okay? That's Dr. Luke Jones. Um, let me check my clock here. We're almost at the one-hour mark, so I'm just going to do a few more of these. Here's a Dr. Ronald Mallet. He says, in human consciousness, the nature of time differs both. Oh, no, that's, that's the same one repeated. Here we go. This is, uh, oh, I must have, uh, okay, I guess I don't have Mallet. Let's go to Deepak Chopra then. Deepak says, people who feel that they are running out of time. This is an interesting concept. I'm running out of time. I don't have enough time. How much stress is reported as hurry-up sickness? I just don't have enough time anyway. It's like the irony we discussed 40 minutes ago. Our grandparents had none of the time-saving devices we have, but seemed to have these leisurely lives with all this high-quality time. We're the ones that spend money on the expensive, time-saving gadgets, and yet what do we do with the time we save? We spend it. <laughs> right. We spend, Our grandparents didn't spend an hour and a half commuting to and from work every day, see, so, or didn't didn't drive the kids to choir practice and the soccer and the you know we just do so much we do too much and we live farther from where we work anyway let's get back to Deepak people who feel that they are indeed running out of time have speeded up their own biological clocks he says they actually tend to have faster heart rates and jittery palates with high levels of adrenaline and when they drop dead from a premature heart attack, well, then they've literally run out of time. You're burning it up. Right? You're burning it up. It's almost as if, I think there's some merit to this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this is a hard and fast rule that you can rely on, but it's something to consider. What if you were born with a predetermined number of heartbeats? Not a predetermined number of days on Earth, but a predetermined number of heartbeats. And if you're going to lead a type A life and hurry and rush and get confused about your priorities and make things important that are not important and then have no time for the things that really are important so they fall by the wayside... As Dr. Chopra says, your heart rate's going to accelerate, and you're going to die sooner. You're, you are running out of time. You're speeding it up. You're accelerating it, and you'll probably shorten your life. Take a breath. Relax. As I said before, a watched pot seems to never boil. So if you want to slow your life down, you've got to watch. You've got to be safe enough, relaxed enough. Your emotional nature must be calm enough and your mental nature still and quiet enough for time to seemingly dilate. And you will enjoy a higher quality experience of that time as a result. Multitasking can be very exciting. 
I've had some discussions with people who are so addicted to multitasking, they don't realize that they're hooked on adrenaline and excitement. But the flip side of excitement is anxiety. It over, <laughs> over, you, you may think of your life as very exciting because it's jam-packed and it's just go, 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 go. You're just calling your stress excitement because it feels like, oh boy, instead of, oh no. But the adrenal glands are still pumping and you like it. And even more perverse, I've had many clients say to me over the years, well, I'd like to manage my stress and anxiety, but don't take all my fear away. Why? And, and many times my clients will say, well, I like a little bit of fear. It helps me feel safe. And I say, really, so what does safe feel like? They go, oh, well, that's sort of scary. Are you listening? <laughs> right? To feel safe is scary, but to feel frightened is your hedge against danger. Makes you safe to feel frightened. Makes you feel frightened to feel safe. Is that not backwards? Is that not topsy-turvy? That sounds like an addict or a junkie trying to rationalize their addiction to adrenaline. Right? Don't take my fear away. It helps me to feel safe. Now, let's see. Do I have a couple of more of these? Here's a cosmologist. I don't have a first name. A, a guy that describes himself as a cosmologist. I got this one out of Forbes magazine, Tegmark. He says, Physician, or physicists, well, let me try it again. Physics tells us that all moments exist equally at once. It's only our consciousness that distinguishes the present from the past or the future. Or as this cosmologist Tegmark puts it, if life were a movie, physical reality would be the whole DVD. The future and the past frames exist just as much as the present one. And uh, if that makes sense to you, if you can imagine holding in your hands a videotape, an old audio cassette tape, remember those? <laughs> or a reel-to-reel, an A-track, or more likely a CD or a DVD, some sort of magnetic media. If you put that in a player, wherever you are, the, the, the part that's being played would be the now of that experience. But does not the past and the future coexist equally? Not as distinct and different from the now, but as enfolded within the now. So any construct of the past is your imagination right now, and the only thing that's real, pulling upon its memory, drawing upon what we call memory, which is a use of imagination to recall experiences. But you have to do that in the now. Right? Even so-called uh, prenatal regression or past life regression which is a hypnotherapist I've done in, in my career more than a few times 
you're really not regressing anybody. You're just taking them deeper into a level of mind where they can use this present moment to to cause their imagination to to assemble a recollection of the past. How about if I say it that way? And any future uh, concerns, worries, um, anticipations, uh, of course, are similarly constructed in in the mind. There's nothing real about the past and the future unless you think of it as being part of the now. Right? The only thing that exists. You hold the DVD in your hand now. If it's a home movie of your vacation from five years ago, you put it into the player, you can say, well, look, here we are five years ago. Yeah, but you're watching it from the now. You can't get out of the now. So whether you argue the future and the past do not exist, or as Tegmark says, well, future and past exist, but only as perceived from the now, you still end up in the same place. Time is not a number line with some reality off to the left that is your past and some anticipated reality. Think of it as the clock. All you've got is right now, and there's a rhythm to it. All right. So maybe you don't feel like doing it today, and so you say you're going to do it tomorrow. Well, you know, like that John Fogarty song, Someday Never Comes. So be careful with the someday I'll do this, or tomorrow I'll do this. The subconscious mind is so literal that it really thinks that tomorrow will be tomorrow, when in fact, Tomorrow will be today, just like today is today. And a week from today will be today when we get there. All right. Part of the problem is semantics. We don't really have the language developed yet. I'd love to come back in a hundred years or a thousand years just to see what's happened to the English language in terms of its uh, ability to express these concepts. But let's leave it with an understanding that a spiritual or metaphysical point of view, the metaphysician's point of view, is the same as the physicist's point of view. That the quantum physicist or the modern physicist in a post-Einstein era agrees with the mystic that time is an illusion. And the simplest example is to look at a distant star and realize you'll always be looking at the past, right, from the now. And that paradox is a foot in the door to help you, <laughs> to help you stretch your brain a little bit and work with the practical implications, which is let's do it now, let's get her done. At least let's make a plan now. Let's strategize. Let's set a goal to determine a direction and begin to do it now, because that's really all we've got. What can I do today? All right. If you feel stuck, do one little thing every day. If you feel depressed, like you're not moving forward, you're not getting anything positive done, at the end of every day, write down two or three things you did today that were positive, that were cool, even if they're little things. Well, at least I made that one phone call today. Well, write that down. 
Okay, so that you can see yourself using the now and avoiding the procrastination born of fear. Another way to bottom line this is love lives in the now. The past and the future tend to be about fear. Yeah, you getting that? The fear of regret and resentment, the guilt and the shame, the embarrassment from the past, And the fear that you're going to do it again in the future keeps you surrounded by fear. In order to live in the now and let go of that, you have to let go of the fear that drags you into the past and the future. To sit right here, right now, requires a commitment to love. Love, not simply as an emotion, but love as consciousness, Love as truth, love as trust and respect, love that heals and redeems, the love that reveals the truth of eternity as this unfolding moment. We do have to change the language. I was talking to a friend just the other day about um, the idea of life and death. That's a funny construct. You know, that's like man and wife. There's something not equal. <laughs> Husband and wife. Man and woman, but not man and wife. What, what, what's that about? Uh, there's something not equal about those constructs that uh, need some work. Okay, let's go to, uh, I've, got a, I've got more, but I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, you can do more of your own research. Google is a wonderful tool. If you want more quotes on time and to play around with it, talk to your friends. No more procrastination, no more putting it off. Now you know the truth of things. That's where the rubber meets the road on this topic. If you're on the telephone or would like to go to the telephone, uh, the numbers are all right on the page for you. There's even a link there that says extra, um, what does it say, local number, other numbers, I think. Or if you're on the phone and press, uh, uh, once you've entered your conference ID and you're all logged in, uh, star 5 on the telephone will give you a local number near you, an area code near you, if you're concerned about toll calls. Many people have flat rate, but uh, star 5 will give you a number near you. And star 2 will raise your hand. And we'll start with the text people, and then we'll come around to you. So if you're on the telephone and want to talk live, press star 2. And if you're on the web, just use the text box and be sure and hit submit after you've entered your question, your comment. Be sure and put your name in there in your city. That's always fun. And then uh, hit submit. Mm. Let's see, we have, first of all, from Canoga Park, Phil Jaffe, and he says, "What, whatever happened to Michael Lillianfeld? Well, uh, I really don't know. Michael was Steve Snyder's partner at Live and Learn in the late 70s, the early and mid-80s, and when Live and Learn... Um, was closed, and Steve and Michael went off to do separate things. Michael was a marriage, family, and child therapist. Steve was a public speaker, a motivator, and a CEO trainer. 
So when Lynn and Learn closed, they went separate ways, and I've not heard from Michael. I presume he's still doing his counseling and his therapy work. And uh, then Phil's also talking about a friend of his who he lost track of and never never heard from again. Carol Postel is with us from La Habra. Hello, Carol. She says, hello again, Michael. Hello, Doreen. Hi, Carol. Aloha. In Honolulu, Bert's with us this week. Aloha, Bert. Bert says, Michael, do you remember back when we were kids how it seemed like it took forever for our birthdays, for Christmas, or especially the start of each summer vacation to finally arrive? And as I got older and became an adult, it seemed like the days and the months and the years have passed by faster. I have a theory about that, Bert says. I believe that once I started talking Oh no, taking on responsibilities and having to pay bills. The end of each month seems to arrive more quickly than when I was a child. Funny how experiencing the passage of time can be a question of perspective. All the best to you and Doreen Aloha, Bert. Yeah, uh, David Viscott, who is a medical doctor and psychologist that I worked with at KABC in the 1980s, a wonderful man. He's since passed. He wrote some great books, The Making of a Psychiatrist. He wrote a book called Risking, wonderful book. He wrote a book called The Language of Feelings. And uh, David's theory on the acceleration of time as we age, Bert, was that the older you get, the more experienced you are. Um more times we've been around the track each successive year then becomes percentage wise a smaller increment of your whole life so the perspective then would make it appear to be shorter so if you're nine years old or ten years old that year is ten percent of your life the next year is 10% of your whole life. If you're uh, 20 years old, well, maybe the reason that 20th year goes by so much faster is it's only 5% of your life. See, And it uh, might seem like it lasted only half as long. And by the time you get to be 50, um, <laughs> one year is one-fiftieth or two percent of your life. The ten-year-old, it was ten percent. Now we're down to two percent. And in any event, whatever you make of that, uh, you guys would agree that it is, uh, in fact, a matter of of, uh, perspective. And Bert goes on for a moment. He says, remember, as we approached the year 2000 and there was so much concern about the Y2K thing and all of that, He says, I read somewhere in the paper that a disciple of the Dalai Lama passed a question of what was the significance, or posed the question. Oh, darn, I just lost my page. Hold on, let me go back to that. I can't believe my system does that to me. Uh, Posed the question of what was the significance of the new century. And uh, he said, Dalai Lama, your eminence, what are your thoughts about the new millennium, people are afraid of what's ahead, Y2K, computers crashing, banks failing, markets disrupting, what does it all mean? 
And after thinking for a moment, the Dalai Lama's response was simply, another day, another night. Yeah, okay, I like that. Uh, let's see. I think I had a couple of more here. One more, Lorelei. Hello, Lorelei in Tucson says, Aloha, Michael. Isn't it amazing that when I feel depressed or unmotivated, music can inspire me to a whole new level of awareness. But if I uh, turn on the TV instead, that effect is just the opposite. I become unmotivated and somewhat depressed. We should all limit the brain drain and control the TV instead of the TV controlling us. Great class. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thanks, Lorelai. It's a very good point. Uh, there is a hypnotic mind-numbing quality to most television. Um, surprise, there isn't more music on TV. MTV doesn't even do music videos anymore. And uh, whatever happened to Soul Train and American Bandstand and Lloyd Thaxton, Right, or the Saturday night, uh, what what they call that, the midnight special in the 70s. Uh, rock and roll has never really done very well on TV. It's never been given much of a chance. But that's a good point about music. Thanks. Um, okay, and then checking the telephone. Let's see. Uh, Okay, I don't see any hands in the air, but it's nice to see you all here. Uh, some of you have uh, your caller ID turned off. Others, I can see where you are, and nice to hear from you all, but I don't see any hands raised. So let's do our alpha process for the day, a little guided meditation exercise. Take the time to... Create an experience of timelessness in the alpha brainwave level. So get comfortable, pump up those pillows, sit back, relax. I want you to sit straight, but not rigidly so. Rather, think of yourself as well-balanced. And do a few head rolls and some shoulder shrugs. Get loose like a goose and sense yourself being balanced right down through the top of your head, straight down the spine. Sitting like a raggedy and doll without any skeleton at all, but sitting straight up because you're so perfectly balanced. Which allows you to create and sense an even deeper feeling of letting go from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, create and sense a feeling of relaxation. Feel the letting go. Take another slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, slowly, and completely go beyond where you'd normally stop, all the way out. Continue that letting go process, that softening. And 
And then as you allow your breathing to normalize itself and breathe at a natural rhythm or natural cadence, just turn it over to autopilot. Put your attention for a few moments on the bottom of your nose and watch that in-breath and that out-breath. Watch the ebb and flow of your breathing at the very point where the breath enters and leaves the body. As we discussed in our class today, the old saw that a watched pot never boils. To slow time down, to manipulate consciously our perspective of running out of time and slowing it down toward the reality of the perpetual, eternal, and infinite now. what C.S. Lewis called the unbounded now of God, or what other philosophers often just refer to as the absolute. Watch your breathing. And become interested, even fascinated in the way your body is able to breathe itself without you having to consciously work at it. What a gift. Imagine if you had to remember to breathe. Much less maintain body temperature and blood pressure and digest food and fight disease and 718 other responses. They're all on autopilot. They're all handled autonomically, freeing your awareness to be the witness. So although you allow in these exercises my voice to guide you, You are essentially witnessing the natural in-breath and out-breath, the ebb and the flow, the peak and the valley of your breathing. Just like waves as you inhale, like waves rolling in and crashing on the beach, as you exhale, it's very much like the water draining back down the beach and into the ocean. And as you learn to witness without judgment, without any thought at all, just detach and be mindfully aware of the rhythms of your breath. You can be aware of your thoughts without being driven or compelled by those same thoughts. 
You can in this way by slowing down time with relaxation and just watching or witnessing. You can observe your emotional feelings without being driven by the feeling. You could, for example, study your anger from a place where you're not angry. For what are the chances that you could understand your anger while you're angry? That's never happened in the history of humanity, that an angry man or an angry woman suddenly understood in a deep and profound way why they're angry. And even if you argue, for the sake of argument, that it's conceivable, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the argument if we can agree that the vast majority of the time that's not going to happen. But if you relax, let go of the anger, release the hurt beneath the anger and the fear beneath the hurt, you can create a timeless state of expanded awareness, insight, understanding, realization, and understand better your anger than you ever could while you're angry. So watching your breath is preparation for detaching and mindfully witnessing your thoughts and your feelings as well. Little by little, you can, through what is sometimes called in philosophy, apophatic thinking, or via negativa, you eliminate what is not real to hopefully arrive at what is real. So by watching your breath and then learning to mindfully detach and watch your thoughts and watch your feelings, you understand that Although you spent your whole life believing this is who you are, what you think, and how you feel, and now you realize by slowing time down and being more aware, you realize you're the awareness itself of the thought and the feeling. You're so much more than simply thoughts and feelings. As we often remind ourselves, we know people who believe they are their automobiles and their homes and the clothes that they wear. But of course we know that's not who they really are. It's just stuff they wear and stuff they own. Well, can we do the same for our physical body, our thoughts and our feelings as forms? 
can we take a quality of ownership that says, I own my body, I own my thoughts, I own my emotional feelings, but I am more than any one of those things. I am the awareness of my thoughts and my feelings, my physical health and the resulting behavior, the, 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 the result of my thoughts and feelings out into the world. You see, the same attempt in Trinitarian religious philosophy to describe the Godhead that unifies the three parts of the Trinity, and Christians have a tough time getting their brains around this, that there is a Father that is God, there is a Son that is God, there is a Holy Spirit or a physical universe that is God, each one is God, and yet they are three persons in one. It's the Godhead that unites the three. You see, Christians tend to conflate the Son and the Father, just because it's hard to talk about this. Well, consider the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the Christian Trinity as being like your mental, emotional, and physical nature. You are each of those things. You have thoughts, you have feelings, you have a physical body that's about behavior and health and relationships. All of it driven by thoughts and feelings. But you're more than that. And you can get to a, a place of no thing beyond space and time with mindful meditation. Allowing yourself to detach, but not dissociate, just mindfully detach to the point where I watch my thoughts without being driven by them. I can choose to agree with this thought or release that thought. I can observe my feelings without being driven by them. I can learn from my anger without being angry. I can manage my sadness and depression from a happy and optimistic place. And I can even choose my behavior, though few do. I can think before I act. I could look before I leap. When we're little kids, our parents take us to the curb and say, this is where the street begins. <laughs> and before you step into the street, you've got to stop and look and listen. Boy, didn't we learn that lesson well until we become teenagers and adults and we stop doing any one of those things. We don't stop, we don't look, we don't listen, we just impulsively surge ahead. Some people for their whole lives. Without a second thought. Without a mindful awareness of the options and the choices available. Take your time. You're not running out of time. You can't really spend your time or outspend time. You have all the time you need. Even to manage time really means to organize our behavior within time, to organize objects, shapes, and forms against a calendar it's not the time we manage it's everything else really 
that we manage and call it time management, the lesson again is mindful detachment to become the awareness that there's just now. There is no life and death. It's birth and death within an unconstrained life. Life has no beginning and no end. Life has birth and life has death. But life has no beginning or no end. Just an eternal, infinite, rhythmic now. Feel the pulse. Feel alive. Be the master of the moment. And the creator of your destiny. Standing firmly in the present moment. Find your ground, solid ground, right here. Perceive the past from now. Plan your future from now. Find your power right here, right now. In a moment, I'll ask you to open your eyes, wide awake and alert, feeling rested and refreshed and relaxed. And as I do, tell yourself to bring this peaceful state of mind, this calm, tranquil, hopefully slowed down place with you. The feeling of this peace you bring with you effortlessly. As you remember the room around you and what you'll see in a moment when you open your eyes, you feel the chair, the cushion supporting you. You take a nice, slow, full, deep breath and hold for a moment as you peek. Exhaling now, open your eyes, wide awake and alert, feeling rested and refreshed and back in the room. And I hope you enjoyed that. And I want to thank you for being here. I was going to say for taking the time to be here, but you didn't use anything up. Right. I hope you've enjoyed this. And uh, I want to remind you that as of a couple of weeks ago, we set up this new social net like Facebook for listeners of this program and other people who are interested in metaphysics and Oh, you can uh, you can sign up and then sign in. It's all free, and uh, you can uh, chat. There's a discussion group. You can post photos. You can post music on your own page uh, that other people can then hear, or programs that you like. Any MP3 file. You can post JPEG photos. You can post videos. Uh, carry on discussions. Have a whole lot of fun, knowing that everybody that's a member listens to this program or knows someone who does and was invited because they're really into personal and spiritual development. It's very much like the website. My website is theagelesswisdom.com. 
The T-H-E is part of it. It's the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. And to go to the social net, and I'm going to go over there now and uh, jump into the uh, chat room for a while. And we'll chat over there if you want to join us. It's theagelesswisdom.ning.com. That's N like Nancy, I-N-G. Theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Now, to prevent spam, I have to approve your request to join. So if you've not yet signed up, that'll be the first thing to do. Go in and click on Sign Up. And then I'll keep going back and approving the people that come in today. So you can join us in the chat room if you'd like, and I'll be in there for a little. I'm going to go get some coffee, but I'll be back. And I'll be in chat for a little while, and maybe a few other people will come by. Okay, and also remember, if you if you like this, you're going to love finding yourself in paradise. This is the premium auto uh, audio series that that I do with my partner Steve Snyder. It's a conversation every week. It's studio quality, and it's only ninety nine cents, and pays for all of this, all of the free stuff. If you can be a supporter for ninety nine cents a week over there you're really stepping up to the plate and providing all of the rest of this free for the people who, well, for whatever reason, don't do that. Uh, When I was at KPFK, we went from 15 years ago, one in 13 people supporting the radio station, to one in eight. And if I could get one in eight of you to do it, so the other seven, even if the other seven didn't, that'd be wonderful. That would pay all of our broadband fees. So uh, see if you can help us out. I, I, you'll love the programs. I guarantee it. If you're not happy, we'll refund your money for that month. So uh, 99 cents a week, 3.96 a month. Even if there's five programs in a month, it's less than four dollars. Remember the ED focusedpassion.com. And I'm going to sign off, and we'll go over to the chat room in theagelesswisdom.ning. Com. And let me thank you again for being here today. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. Uh, what I mean is next week, <laughs> next Sunday, for this program live or pick up on the podcast whenever you'd like. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner, and aloha from Maui. The conference is now completed. Goodbye. Welcome to the conference.